want to talk to you just a little bit about the goodness of God. We're going to be in James's epistle, James chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 16 in just a moment. Uh, it'll be up on the, on the screen just a little bit as well. James chapter 1 and verse 16. And just like you, I appreciate a lot of things about God. Whenever I think about uh, just about his character and his nature, there are a lot of things I can focus on, a lot of things to be thankful for. But one of the things that I appreciate most, and it's one of those things that I don't really think about very often, but one of the things I appreciate most about God is his consistency. Have you ever thought about that? No matter what you're going through, no matter what it is that you're facing, God is always the same. He's always there. He's always dependable. You can always count on God. And, and really, when you think about it, every, every promise in all of Scripture is based on, is predicated on, His unchanging nature. And, and I've noticed that my feelings about God, depending on what it is I'm going through, they tend to, uh, they tend to differ. They tend to have different emphases. Like if I'm uh, going through a rough patch, you know, I've, I, I focus on God's faithfulness. Or maybe whenever I'm going through times of grief, I, I, I focus on his comfort. Or if I'm, if I'm depressed, I'm, I, I'm reminded of his mercy. If I'm fearful, I'm, I'm reminded of that courage that he extends. When something good in my life is happening, boy, I think about his benevolence and his power to work things out. And maybe you're the same way. You focus on these different attributes of God. But in the end, all that is based on the fact that God never changes. God is always the same. But what if... We couldn't count on God. What if, what, if, what if he was not constant? What if you never knew how God felt about things? What if he never knew what, how God felt about you? I mean, just the thought of that makes me gladder that, that we don't have to deal with such a situation, doesn't it, you? Now, in our text today, James is going to talk a little bit about that. He's going to talk about the good gifts that, that God gives, but also about God's unchanging nature. Now, where we pick up, it's right at the beginning of uh, James' uh, writings here. And if, if you have James open, you can look up at the first verse or two, and you'll see that he's writing to uh, some Christians that are dispersed all throughout, the, uh, all throughout the area, and they're going through some trials. We don't know all the trials they were facing, but they were suffering in, in some way. In the immediate context of, of what James is writing, deal with temptation. And I think the connection is this. Sometimes we go through, through difficult times. We go through times of temptation, you know, when, when the devil's really uh, turning up the pressure and the allurements of the world are, are very strong, and in those times, Christians sometimes get the idea, well, God must be the one doing this to me. God must be the one who's behind this temptation. And what, Jesus, uh, what James is saying is that, uh, is that even though Christians sometimes think God is tempting them to do wrong in truth, he always is and always will be the source of good in our lives. Okay, so if, if you found James chapter 1, please stand with me in honor of God's word. We're just going to read a couple verses here, starting in verse 16. James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. Thank you. you may be seated. <clears throat> Now, James tells us uh, three things. The first is don't be deceived. And, and this is in verse 16. Don't be deceived. And verse 16 is, is kind of a, a bridge verse. It looks both backwards and forwards. And what he says as it looks backwards is God is not the author of temptation. I've already mentioned that. God is not the author of temptation. 
Now, if, if, if you are remembering your Bible, you may, may remember, especially in some of, the, uh, some of the translations, when you read the Old Testament, it says that God tempted such and such a person. And you might be saying, now, Pastor, how can you say that God's not the author of temptation when the Bible says that, that he tempted such and such a person? Well, we have to remember that the word tempt is used two different ways in the Scripture. One way is a solicitation to evil. And that comes from the devil. That's when, when the devil tries to trip us up. That's when uh, the devil will, will use all these, all these schemes to try and get us to sin against God. And it's illogical that God would try to get us to do something that he hates. God is not trying to sit up there uh, waiting for us to mess up so he can beat us over the head with a club. God's not trying to get you to sin. That is the devil. The other way the word tempt is used in the Bible speaks of trials and, uh, and, and tribulations and difficult times that we go through. And ultimately, those things, even though they don't feel like it, they don't seem like it at the time, those things are actually for our good. You say, how is that for our good? Well, it does uh, at least three things. Number one, it purifies us. You think about metal, and, and you put metal in a, you get it real hot. And if you've, and I've, I've never worked in a foundry or anything, but I've seen videos. And when they get that metal real hot, those impurities, the, the dross, will come to the surface, and they can be skimmed away. And haven't you ever noticed whenever you're going through a tough time in life, those, uh, those, the, there are sins in your life, in your heart, deep down that you didn't even know were there sometimes. It's kind of like you want to know what's in a cup, you just kind of jostle it a little bit. And what, what's in it's going to splash out. And sometimes... You know, something will happen and something will come out of our mouth or, or we'll get a certain type of attitude or whatever it is. And we, where did that come from? Well, that was in our heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the Bible says. So it, it serves to purify us. It also serves to strengthen us. Does anybody ever watch the History Channel? I, I watch it every once in a while. There was a, there was a show on just recently called Forged in Fire. Maybe, maybe some of you saw that. And what they did was they had a bunch of blacksmiths and they were competing. They were making uh, knife blades. And so they would get a, a ball bearing or, or a, a mower blade or whatever it was, and they would heat that metal in a forge, and they would try to make a, a blade out of it, and they were competing for like $10,000, I think it was. But anyway, what they would do is they would, they would get this metal real hot after they got it all forged the way they wanted, and then they would quench the blade. And what that means is they would take these great big tongs, and they take out this blade out of the forge. It was glowing hot, and they'd stick it into oil. And that oil would cool it off quickly, but it, when they did that, it would harden the blade. If the fire didn't get hot enough, if, if the blade didn't get hot enough, it would be a weak blade. And that's kind of the way it is in our lives. God puts us through the fire sometimes and serves to strengthen us. You don't come out of a hard time in your life the same as when you went in. And so God uses that to strengthen us. But ironically, he also uses that to soften us. We'll go through a time in our life, and when we get through with it, all of a sudden we have a new sensitivity, new compassion for somebody else that's going through a similar circumstance. And the Bible says that we should comfort others with the comfort with which we have been comforted. In other words, don't waste your pain. And so, so the, the trials that, that God sends, those temptations, as they're called sometimes, serve to bring out the graces in us, not to bring out sin. So, so James says, don't be, don't be deceived. God's not the one trying to get you to do wrong. But it also looks forward and says, don't be deceived. God is really the source of good in our lives. Now, when something good happens, what do we do? We say, oh, well, that was lucky. 
Isn't that what we say? No. That's what we say, but that's wrong. There's no such thing as luck. Sometimes we say, well, that, that was just, that just happened by chance. That was a fluke. Sometimes we even get the idea that maybe the devil sent that our way. That's, that's as the, uh, well, here, here's the Greek term for it. That's baloney. God didn't send it your way. I mean, the devil didn't send it your way. God did. Sometimes, and here's a, a very popular idea we have, this good came about because of something that I've done. But it's all me. Well, what do we have that hasn't been given to us? It's all from God. You know, and, and, and in work, we get mad if somebody takes credit for the work of another, but yet we try to take credit for God's work all the time. If you have good in your life, that came from God, so don't be deceived. He didn't bring bad. He brought good. And notice the, the contrast there. God is the source of good, and that means by default he cannot be a source of temptation because temptation tries to get you to do wrong. It tries to get you to do bad. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Now, if you look at verse 17, part, the first part of it has been paraphrased. All giving is good, meaning every gift that we receive from God's hand is a good gift. See, sometimes we think that God's up there kind of like dealing cards to us. Oh, there's an ace. Oh, but there's a, there's a three. Oh, you know, that's, that's not a good one. Oh, here's a king. That's a good one. We think that God's dealing out some good and some bad at the same time, but everything that he gives us is a good gift. Now look at verse 17 again. It says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Now your Bible may say every good and perfect gift or something similar. There are two different words that are used here in the original language translated as gift. One has to do with the giving. The other has to do with the completed, perfect gift. And so what James is saying here is that God gives us good gifts no mixture of, of any bad, no mixture of evil. And those gifts serve to perfect us, bring us closer to him, make us more like him. And again, I want you to notice the contrast in this. What does the devil do? Well, the devil, he makes some big promises. His promises are all smoke and mirrors. He says, if you'll just take this path, if you'll just do your own thing, if you'll go off over here, don't be worrying about what God says. Don't be worrying about what the Bible says. If you'll just do your own thing, then you're going to have all this good stuff happen. You're going to have all this pleasure. And you promise it's big, but it doesn't fulfill. He, he gives us the husk without the corn inside. He, he gives us temptation, which promises pleasure, but in the end, when it has run its course, it ends in sin and death. But in contrast to that, what, he, what James says in verse 17 is that God gives us the real thing. He gives good gifts, which when they run their course don't lead to sin and death. They lead to, to life and perfection in heaven. Now, I'm not a, a smart man. I, I understand that. But how crazy would we be to choose what the devil offers and say what God offers? Because it seems like a no-brainer to me. But how many times do we do that? We say, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. Maybe God won't care this one time. It always leads to sin and death. So what are these good gifts that God gives? Well, we all have them. And if we all sit here, we, we talked about, we sang the song, Count Your Blessings. If we were to enumerate, if we were to list out and number all of our blessings, we'd have a lot of them. A lot of us have some of the same things. A lot of us have some different ones. But guess what? They all come from God. They all have the same source. 
James mentions one in particular in verse 18. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be kind of first fruits among his creatures. He said, I don't get it. What's that talking about? He's talking about saving us. He's talking about salvation of eternal life. When we become Christians, it's because of what God's done, not because of what we do. You understand? God is the one who initiated this whole thing. He started the process way back in the Garden of Eden. It culminated in the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And now God is the one who, who, who sent Christ. He's the one who draws us by a spirit. He's the one that gives us the faith to respond. He's the one that forgives. And it's based on his goodness and his grace, not on us and what we've done. And aren't you glad? Because if it was based on us and what we've done, none of us would get saved. Where then is bragging? It's excluded. We didn't do it. We didn't do anything of this on our own. God did. Therefore, we should recognize that he's the one who gives all good gifts, starting, if nothing else, with salvation. Thank him for that. All good gifts come from him today and forever. Now, there's one last truth that he says here in, in uh, verse 17. And that is that we should lean on God who does not change. Lean on God that, who doesn't change. And he uses a variety of ways to talk about God staying the same. Now, I love, I mean, I like, I love theology. Theologians, man, they, there are some deep thinkers out there. But boy, they have some big words for stuff. You know what? They have to come up with great big $10 words, and they call it immutability. Isn't that awesome? Immutability. Six syllables. And here's what they could say. God doesn't change. Isn't that easy? They say immutability. It means God doesn't change. There's no variation. James says, verse 17, there's no variation with God. And think about that. That is huge. Everything in this life is subject to change. Our circumstances, subject to change. People, subject to change. You ever gone to a class reunion? And those people, besides just the way they look, you, you, you see people, and some of them were wild in high school. You remember that? But then when you see them, boy, they're, they're like a Puritan. They're teachers. Not that teachers are Puritans necessarily, but or some of those that you thought were the straight-laced people or the ones that have gone off in left field. Sometimes you go in, you're talking to somebody, Last you knew, you were on good footing with them. All of a sudden, you're in the doghouse. You don't know why. Not that I'm speaking from experience with my, in my marriage. <laughs> and man, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? People change. Situations change. Our jobs change. How many times have we heard about people that have gone in and the boss said, I need to talk to you, and they're scored out of the building? Or how many times has somebody been desperate to have a job, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, they get a call. I've got a job now. Jobs change. Health changes. You go in for just normal checkup, and all of a sudden you find out there's something bad wrong you didn't know was, was going on. Or the other side of that, you had something bad wrong, you've been on the prayer list a long time, and you go in, and the tests all come back clear. Friendships. Everything in this life changes except for God. He's the one that remains the same. He's the I am of the burning bush. He's the self-existent one. 
He exists outside of time and space, so he created time and space and works within it. He exists outside of it. God is separate. He transcends all that. He relies on no man. He has no beginning and he'll have no end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. How long is that? That's forever. Everlasting. Psalm 102. Of old you founded the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. And all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them and they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not come to an end. You go out. Anybody go out look at the, the Perseid uh, meteor shower that we had a few days ago? I went out and I, I went out one day, and there were a couple of brilliant streaks of light through the sky. And I thought, man, I wish I had my camera out here. I mean, they were, they were huge. And then the next day, I thought, I'm, by golly, I'm going to get some pictures. And I went out and set up my camera. And I didn't get squatted. I mean, it just wasn't, just wasn't happening. But even as I was out there and I was looking up at the, scar, the stars and the grandeur of, of nature, I think, wow, this is impressive. And the Bible says that God made all that. And one of these days, as even though it seems like it's timeless, one of these days is going to wear out like an old rag and God's still going to be the same. He's going to outlast it. He's the rock on which we can lean. He's our stronghold and our shelter. He doesn't change. If he did change, you know there are certain people that are what you call a flake. If God was a flake, and thankfully he's not, you couldn't count on him for anything, could you? There are certain people, they tell you they'll do something, and you just check it down in your mind, that person's not going to do it. And if they do it, what do you do? <laughs> I can't believe that. But God isn't like that. When he says he's going to do something, buddy, he does it. Now, a lot of people, you know, you can't count on, but you can count on God. Why? Because God doesn't change. That means that, that if God is something one day, he's going to be something the next day. And that means that God is good all the time, and what? All the time, God is good. He was merciful to us today. That means he's going to be merciful to us tomorrow. He loved us yesterday. He's going to love us today. As one author said, there is no wrinkle on the brow of eternity. And I love that phrase. There's no wrinkle on the brow of eternity. God doesn't change. He doesn't get old. He doesn't get worn out. He stays the same, always the same, the self-existent one. There's no, there's no wrinkle on the brow of eternity, the author says. The arm of mercy is not dried up, nor does his compassionate love ever end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do you believe that? If you believe it, say amen. Good. So he says there's no variation with God, verse 17, or shifting shadow. Your Bible may say shadow of turning. The image here seems to be that of the sun moving across the sky. And if, if you pay attention, you think of the old sundials. As the sun moves across the sky, that shadow changes. You think about... You go outside, and, and sometimes the shadows are going straight down, and the evenings are they're real long. You're walking along, and, and your shadow's 10 foot tall. Certain times of the year, sometimes your shadow's over here, sometimes it's over there. All those things change. They move, but not so with God. There isn't even a hint that God's going anywhere or he's moving or he's changing because God's not going anywhere. Now, to us Christians, this should be a reassuring thought that no matter... Where we go, no matter how high or how low our circumstances, no matter what it is that we face, 
God is there and he's always the same. He's dependable. You can count on him. And what a blessing to have him as our firm foundation. Because all this, all this world is sinking sand, but he is the solid rock. But also what a terrifying thought that should be for people without Christ. Because apart from Christ, everybody stands condemned under God's judgment. He is always angry at sin. And one day God's going to judge sin. Now, I understand what I'm getting ready to say is not popular and is not going to be believed by the majority of people in this, uh, in this country. But a lot of people today think that we've progressed, that we've evolved, that we've moved past some of these old-fashioned ideas of sin. But I tell you what, if it, was, if it was a sin against God 500 years ago, 50 years ago, 1,000 years ago, if it was a sin against God then, it's, this, it's still a sin against God because God doesn't change. Now, someone would say, oh, but God is so loving. He's not going to judge sin. Oh, you don't have to worry about that. Well, he is loving, and that's what makes the gospel good news. Because he is loving, he's provided a way for you to escape the judgment of God, and that's through Jesus alone. Apart from Christ, we all stand under his judgment. But someone would say, well, you know, I don't think God's going to judge sinners. Well, again... People are free to think that, but that's not what the Bible says. Listen to these words from Psalm 7. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. And some translations render that, and a God who is angry with sinners every day. If a man does not repent, he, meaning God, he will sharpen his sword. He has bent his bow and made it ready. He has also prepared for himself deadly weapons. He makes his arrows fiery shafts. What's that mean? One of these days God's going to judge the person that doesn't repent. But for those of us who are in Christ, we will escape that. And I don't know what your heart is. I don't know what it is that you're facing. But I do know this. God is always the same. And you might be facing something today. You might have some concern in your heart. What's the Bible say? Cast your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He, he cared for you back then. He cares for you today because he never changes. Now, we're fickle. People are fickle. We change all the time. Sometimes we feel we're, we're faithful to God. Sometimes we're faithless. But God is always the same. Cast your care upon him. And maybe you've never accepted Christ. I want to tell you as plainly as I can, if you, don't, if you die in that condition, one day you will stand before God and you will be judged and one day you will go to hell apart from Jesus. I wish there was a way to soften that. I wish there was another, I wish, I wish a lot of things. But you know what? I'm just glad God made a way. And if you will repent of your sin and, and ask God to save you, to forgive you your sins, to become Lord of your life, he'll do it. And I want to extend that opportunity for you to do that right now. If, as, as musicians come, I'd ask that you please stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. And with nobody looking around, again, I just... We all, everybody is facing something. We can't go through this life. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's a, a job situation. 
health situations. I mean, we just have so many things to be stressed out over. And I'm not going to stand here and promise you if you'll just cast your care upon him, it's one and done, and you'll never have a, a moment of stress in your life again. I'm not going to say that. Because a lot of times we have to take it to him and take it to him and take it to him and take it to him because we keep taking it back up because we keep getting fearful. We're like Peter. We get out on the water. We start looking around. We start to sink. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever.